Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm joined in this episode by Kitty Underhill, a plus-size model, speaker, and advocate for body acceptance and self-love, which, by the way, I love. Kitty has worked with many organizations such as Ditch the Label, Channing School, and Anti-Diet Riot Club. Welcome, Kitty. Welcome to me. Yes, hi. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me. It's great. I mean, I think you are such an inspiration. So I'm so happy to have you on our podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Thank you. So that everybody learns a little bit more about you. So I know that you are a plus-size model and that you help to change the way society sees not only models, but women as well. So what inspired you to become a model? So it's an interesting story because I fell into modeling completely by mistake. So I was always an actor by trade and I bumped into somebody in a club of all places and he was he worked as a part of like a record label and I followed them on Twitter and they posted on Twitter saying, oh, we're looking for models for our next music video. And I was like, well, I'm not really a model, but I could use this for my showreel, see what happens, you know, say yes to everything kind of vibe. So um, I go to the shoot, I have an incredible time. And then after the video shoot, um, they asked me whether I wanted to model their line of t-shirts. And I was kind of like looking behind my shoulder, like, are you sure you mean me? Like, are you sure? Like, you got the right person. Um, So I went to the shoot and it was such fun. It was like, I've never done anything like that before. Um, I kind of done bits and bobs when I was a kid, but it was kind of when I was very small and I wasn't really sure about what was going on. Whereas like as an adult where at this point in time, I was still kind of going through my body image issues, my self-worth issues. And I never thought somebody like me could be a model. Um, So from there, it pretty much spiraled. Like I started getting more offers to do shoots and I started to realize that the fact that I'd never seen anybody who looked like me growing up was not okay. And so many people walk through the world not seeing themselves represented in media, TV, in fashion, anything like that. This alongside learning more about uh, body acceptance, uh, fat phobia, learning about all these forces that make us feel terrible about our bodies. It just put a fire in my belly and spurred me to keep going because not only is modeling getting myself out there, but it's helping me to spread the message that your body was always good enough. We're just taught that our bodies aren't good enough. And we have to do this horrible process of unlearning all the nastiness that we've learned about bodies when it turns out we were good enough as we were all along. So, you know, what inspired me, oddly, even though it came as a mistake, was how I could help change people's perceptions of themselves. Wow, that's such a deep story because it happened by mistake, but all of a sudden it became your mission, right? It was the best mistake ever, yeah. (laughs) Here I am. That's really good. Um, So you actually became an activist, not just a model, not just a person that does and talks about modeling, about about plus sizes, but you are, how do I say this? You daily talk about this issue and you try to empower and help young women and all women as well uh, to not have yeah I like to refer to myself as an advocate as opposed to an activist because I think especially in the online space I think it's quite um 
you know, people get given the label of activist when all they do is sometimes just post something on their story. Whereas I think activism really does mean doing more community action, really getting on the grounds and doing big work, not to negate the work that anybody does. But I think activism and advocacy take so many different forms. And if we call people activists kind of willy nilly, um, excuse the term, I realise I'm on like a sexy podcast using the term willy nilly, but anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like if we throw around the term um, activist and uh, put it on people who don't necessarily label themselves as activists, it can sometimes, it's tricksy, it can set people up to fail. And it, you know, especially in this kind of world of cancel culture where it can be, people can feel like they make one mistake and it, you know, it's, that's it, it's over kind of thing. And, you know, don't get me wrong, if people continue to choose harm, they must be held accountable. But for those who are just trying to do their best and they slip up and then they're not given the opportunity to grow and learn, it creates quite a difficult, sticky space. So for me, I say advocacy because it's something I feel very passionately about. I talk loud about it. I do try and do kind of community work. And that's what kind of got me into coaching in the first place is that I wanted to make a difference with people in person as well as online. Um, so, I mean, that's what advocacy is to me. And that's how I would say I kind of carry myself and do my work. Yes, makes sense. And earlier you were talking about the personal journey that you went through with body acceptance and self-love. When did you first develop body image issues? I'd say I was, I was quite young, you know, I feel like maybe well to give you an idea I remember I was either 10 or 11 and I remember saying to my friends because I would wear like matching tracksuits like I was always looking very very cute always color coordinated um but I remember once saying to my friend oh well they don't make jeans that fit me and I think I was about a a UK size maybe 12 14 at like 10 or 11 and for me to have that kind of transformation in my head of like, I'm this, like jeans won't fit me. is like, I mean, there's a bigger conversation to be had about how lots of, you know, clothing sizes are not accessible for a lot of people. Um, but I think it says a lot about my own very dysmorphic view of my own body when I was younger. And, you know, I was, um, I was always trying to diet. I was always trying to cut down the food I was eating kind of from when I was, yeah, as soon as I kind of got to secondary school. Um, it wasn't then helped by entering into a kind of semi-abusive situationship with somebody a couple of years older than me, who um, I met him online. We met up in real life and, um, you know, I was kind of waiting for him to kiss me, you know, being like, oh my God, this is going to be my person. And when I got home I was like oh what happened and he said oh well you're bigger in real life and you know if I'm going to be seen with you you need to be a size six and this continued for two years back and forth that's scary yeah it was, it was I mean in hindsight it was scary but at the time what's interesting to me now is looking back on it and at no point did I think he was being nasty to me I thought he was telling me the truth like of course why would anyone love me if I'm not a size six why would anybody love me if I'm not skinny and it just kind of propelled my disordered eating further. I, you know, I started to self-harm. I was trying to exercise too much and engage in all these really um, destructive behaviors because I believe that that is what I needed to do to achieve the quote unquote perfect body. And it was only once I got to university and I started learning, as I said, about anti-fatness, fat phobia, which is the systemic hatred of fat people. And here was where I learned that 
not only does everybody internalize fat phobia, everybody learns that fatness is not okay and, you know, health looks a certain way and all these very morphed ideas of what health and bodies and worth are. But also it does result in oppression. You know, there's, um, I think there's only one state in America where it is illegal to fire somebody for their size, whereas in the other 49 states it's legal. You know, it's not just a matter of how we feel about ourselves, body image and self-esteem. It's also a matter of how these issues affect the wider world. So once I started learning more about these kinds of things, I was just so angry, like how evil it is that there are so many companies that profit off of our insecurities that peddle these awful diet pills that don't work and diets that don't work and all these schemes that, you know, I was in Primark relatively recently and they were selling anti-cellulite rollers that were like just pieces of plastic. It's just pieces of plastic. But everybody somehow profits off of us feeling bad about ourselves and our bodies. And I think that kind of anger, as it was at the system, just helped me to unpick and unpack all the things that I was learning about my own body as well. So thankfully, you know, there are always going to be peaks and troughs in one's own body image journey and self-acceptance journey. But I'm very glad to be in a spot where I love who I am. I own my body. I think my body is the most divine temple. And I don't think I would have got there if I hadn't start, started to do the unlearning and the unpacking. And I hope that I can help other people do that same thing too. I mean, just just your journey shows how important it is to be comfortable with yourself, right? You know, you were actually in, can we call it abusive? Almost relationship? Well, yeah, I think it's one of those things that like, at the time I was like, oh, well, you know, that's just how boys are. Um, no, it's not. Like, if any anybody listening, if that sounded similar to them, get out, just get out. You deserve so much better than for somebody to put you down and make you feel like you have to jump through hoops for you to be worthy and enough for them. You were always worthy. You were always enough. And that's not something that needs to be earned. But it was, you know, like, that's why I think education about this kind of stuff is so important because we tie our self-worth in other people and we think we deserve bad treatment because we don't look a certain way, but that's absolutely not the case. I mean, for me, this is mic drop. We can close the, the episodes. You've said it <laughs> That was efficient. Nice one. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think I think there's something that's really important to understand is how did you get to where you are today? So you went from having body acceptance and self-love issues to being a confident model and advocate for body acceptance and self-love. So I think oddly a lot of it came with age. Like as I get older. I realized that I was always magnificent. I was always a divine goddess. And we all are. We are all beautiful. We're all divine. We're all worthy and exceptional. But we learn that we're not almost, you know, like we don't hop out of the womb and go, oh God, I should have done more work today and my thighs are too big. You know what I mean? Because we live in a society and we live within a context where this kind of messaging is so incredibly pervasive, whether it's like, you know, you pick up a magazine that says lose 10 pounds in two days to be good for that date on Friday, or, you know, even things in films and movies where they make horrible comments about the one fat person in the room, which teaches you that gaining weight, being fat, anything like that is the worst possible thing in the world. So it's no wonder that we all have these deeply entrenched body image issues. It's only once I started to learn more about it and learn how to unpack it and go, 
wait a second, where did this come from? Where did I learn this from? Who told me that this was the truth? Who said that this is the way that it should be? You know, we kind of go about this and kind of go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. But it's not. Like, there is another way of thinking and there's and there's so much richness in that other way of thinking because it means that you accept yourself as a default rather than going out of your way to find try and find things that are wrong with you nothing was ever wrong with you nothing was ever wrong with your body it's just as i said before there are so many companies and forces at play that benefit from you feeling small and benefit from you feeling bad so they're going to keep doing it as soon as you start challenging those systems and criticizing where all these thoughts come from that is where the switch happens and that's where the change happens 100 it's not just believing what somebody says just because it's understanding that you know why is it happening like that? Is it, is it really true? And and why yeah. is it? Absolutely. And like, where did that come from? You know, what, and also there's something, there's a kind of conversation that I often have is when people say, oh, but this person said this about my body or this person made the, this judgment about my body. And I just sort of say, yeah, but that says so much more about them than it does about you. When somebody makes a passing judgment about your body, that tells you everything you need to know about how that person feels about themselves and their body, not about you. They're just projecting, reflecting all that kind of nasty stuff that they've, that we've all learned. But some of us are just on different journeys than others. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but what it does say is, oh, you don't accept bodies yet. You think that some bodies are more worthy than others, right? Well, we take it understandably we take it so deeply personally because i mean why don't we we're taught that our bodies are what defines our worth but so much of it once we kind of realize that it's not actually about us when somebody judges us it's more about them there's a lot more power in that you can gain a bit of agency and go you know brush it off your shoulder yes but at the same time you cannot do that if you're not comfortable with yourself because then you're going to believe what they're saying right Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was speaking as somebody who, if anyone made me even mildly aware of my body, I just wanted to sink into myself. I felt such deep shame and disgust. And I thought I was the most repulsive being on the in the world. Like, And it wasn't until I started doing this like practice of trying to love myself, trying to unpack all this stuff that I was able to deflect that kind of judgment. You know, I'm trying to think of an example recently, but like now when, if anybody comments on my body, I kind of go, okay, I see, I see what's the internal workings of your brain, but that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna affect me because I know my worth now. It's a, it's just a damn shame that we have to learn that we're worthy all along, you know, and that's what makes me angry. And that's why I do the work that I do. Because once you get to that point where you know, your state level is good and is not, you know, doesn't need to do all this work to be enough. You're able to take those comments as nothing at all because you know in your deepest heart of hearts that you're good and you're just fine, you know? But do you ever still have difficult days? Yeah, I think, um, as I said earlier, you know, one's body acceptance journey is always going to have peaks and troughs. And I found, um, um, I was about to say isolation, that's not what I mean, uh, lockdown really difficult actually because here was me you know doing all this work around body acceptance and loving myself and everything and all of a sudden these kind of chatty eating disordery type voices started coming back into my head like oh 
maybe you shouldn't eat anything that's bigger that doesn't fit into this particular bowl in my kitchen um are you sure you're allowed to eat that like all these kind of comments that I'd not really heard loudly enough or not loudly enough but I hadn't heard in that same kind of way for a very long time and so here was me thinking that my healing journey was complete but it was throwing in like a whole load of new obstacles that I really had to face head on and it's a kind of blessing and a curse in a way because during that time yes it was really difficult to not give in and go oh my god like I need to treat myself with kindness and you know ignore what's going on in my head but at the same time maybe I wouldn't have healed in the way that I had if that hadn't have happened to me if I just kept going kept you know because all of us were just you know cruising towards burnout working all the time going to meetings being sociable trying to balance all these things at once and so when the entire world stopped I think a lot of people had to be confronted with some demons that they weren't really ready to confront or didn't realize they needed to confront so I'm lucky now that I feel like I've got past that, but I'm never going to say that's it. It's over. I mean, maybe it will be. That's fantastic. Um, but one needs to be realistic because your life will throw so many obstacles at you. And that's why I always say to people to just be patient with yourself, because if you beat yourself up for taking a step back in your recovery journey, the only person who hurts in that is you. Like, Treat yourself with the compassion and kindness that you would treat a friend, especially when it comes to recovery. 100%. I think you're giving so many interesting and direct advices for what people can do and should do. So thank you for that. Because it's oh, easy just to talk about in a, like in a more gener generalistic uh, way. But you, because you had that experience, I think you really show what you can do to change it. Like you were saying, you know, be patient with yourself and accept that sometimes it's not, or most of the times it's not like a linear journey. But I want to talk a little bit about body image and self-confidence. So this is something that I actually don't know. What does the word, what does the word fat mean? I mean, is it, is it usually perceived in a bad way? Is it okay to call somebody fat, but not in a, and, I, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but saying, you know, that person is fat, has that person skinny or that person has brown hair? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Ultimately, fat is a descriptor, like just in the way that skinny is, just in the way that tall is, just in the way that, you know, brown hair is. It's just society has given the word fat such a negative connotation that we have been taught that it's the worst thing in the world. You know, it's, and it's something that, drives a lot of companies like it attacks you know it targets people's fear of fatness so they can profit off of their insecurity fat is not a bad thing it's just another way of having a body and you know there are so many you know i would recommend anybody who's listening to seek out the work of fat activists uh for example uh deshaun harrison stephanie yaboa um uh so many, so many fabulous people. I'll send you some more. They're just a couple off the top of my head um, because they will say it in such a better way than I possibly could. But fat activism has been going on for years because it's not, as I said, it's not just a matter of self-confidence, self-esteem, but it's also a matter of accessibility to spaces. It's a matter of facing oppression. It's a face of, it's, you know, experiencing violence. Like it's not just these kind of, you know, surface level issues that come into this whole how we feel about fat thing. Um, 
another great podcast I'd recommend listening to is The Maintenance Phase, which is run by um, someone uh, called Aubrey Gordon, who's also known as Your Fat Friend. And she unpacks all the weird diet trends that have gone on, like from Weight Watchers to The Biggest Loser. And it's a really good entry level point to um, understanding more about where we've learned about why fat is awful. Because as I said earlier, all of this stuff comes from somewhere. It's not just the way that it is. So the more that we learn about where it came from, the more we can learn how to challenge the nastiness that comes from all of it. And we just learn to accept ourselves even further. Because I think as part of, you know, obviously learning to accept one's own body is important, but accepting bodies that are unlike our own is even more important because we can do better, you know, justice by them as well. We all live in a society. We're not just these like individuals just roaming about a space. And the thing is, what does fat really mean? Isn't that like a perception? Because I was looking at your portfolio. It's online. It's available for everybody, I believe. Yeah, Um, yeah. Sells out. Go have a look. (laughs) And and for me, you're not fat. And I'm not saying this to be kind. You know what I mean? It's like for me, that's not my perception. But it's interesting, isn't it, that you say I'm not saying this to be kind? Because to me, I'm like, sure, you could call me fat. I don't care. Like I don't. That's not. I've done enough work uh, to, and I've been in this space for long enough where I just know that that's a descriptor, but you say that to anybody else who's not in that space and they go, oh my God, she called me fat. Oh my God, oh my God, it's the worst thing in the world. You know, it's like, it's a word that has just got such a loaded negative con- you know, connotation still. And you're right, it does depend from context to context. One person's fat is one person's curvy, is one person's obese, is one person's overweight. Is You know, it's so... It's so tricksy to define, but I think within that muddiness means that, you know, people find it even harder to unpack because they're like, so if you look like that, what does that make me? And what does that, you know, because we're human beings. Naturally, we engage in comparison, but comparison is the thief of joy. You know, it's never going to help anybody, even if, you know, you think it could like spur you on to do better or lose weight or whatever you want to do. Ultimately comparison doesn't invite a lot of goodness um but you're right it's it's so it changes and it's different and the more we realize that bodies are meant to be different the better we're all going to get on yes and although fat can be a descriptor i think for me the worst is you know i was, I was thinking about this looking at you that you are a plus size model what does plus size mean you're a size model right I mean, your yeah. body probably looks more like most women than the not plus size models. Um, yeah. Like, let, let's call them average uh, sized models. Yeah, so out they're there. called straight size. Oh, oh it's okay. in the industry that is described as straight size, uh, which is also kind of interesting in itself. Um, right. And also, you know, I am on the smaller end of plus size. So, um, uh, I wish I could remember their name, but uh, a lot of fat activists have kind of come up with a scale. So there's small fat, medium fat, super fat, infinite fat, all different ways of conceptualizing fat within fat. And so, you know. Can I ask you why that is? That, well, because every kind of experience of body size is different, you know. So I am a plus size model, but I could still walk into any shop and probably find something in my size. I could go to the doctor and say, oh, I have X problem. And the doctor won't say, oh, well, have you tried losing weight? Whereas you speak to somebody a couple of size 
a couple of sizes bigger than me who would maybe be mid-sized fat or uh, something like that, they would not, they would have that issue. They wouldn't be able to find something in the shop. The doctor would tell them to lose weight, even though it wasn't the, re- you know, they'd go in for an earache and they're told to lose weight. You know, it's, there's still a lot of anti-fatness in the medical industry. Um, and then we get to even grander scales of where you're super fat or infinifat and they can't fit into, you know, there's accessibility issues where they find it difficult to find seating that's comfortable for them in planes or restaurants, for example. Um, and I mean, the medical fat phobia that they experience is even more excruciating and dangerous. So it was really important for them to develop the scale because we can then look at the nuances of how all different body types experience fat in a way. And then also, you know, the fashion industry is completely and utterly bizarre and like its own total, you know, separate universe to all of this lived experience stuff anyway. So, you know, one person's, I'm not, you know, some people say I'm a plus size model. I've kind of referred to myself in the past as an in-betweeny because, you know, in-betweeny. if I were to, in between, I'm just in the middle, you know, like if I, I, so if I were to show up to a Chanel casting, they'd be like, oh my God, did you get lost? Um, but then if I go to another, Shame on them. you know, another, I mean, I know. Um, But but then, you know, I'd go to maybe a plus size brand where they start from 18 plus and they'd be like, sorry, you're too small. So, you know, I find myself kind of in the in-between area in quite a few ways. Um, And I used to judge myself for it and I'm just relishing being in the in-between. You know, I can be whatever I want to be. And, you know, know, there's a lot of privilege that comes with that. I am, you know, I do occupy, as I said before, body privilege, general privilege you know I'm white I'm straight presenting I'm able-bodied I'm cisgender you know the way that I experience this world is going to be very different for somebody you know who's not like me um so that has to be taken into account when I talk about you know my own experiences of existing in my body and also in the fashion industry yes I, I like how you're tying a lot of different subjects but they do tie in together if you were yeah fatter, all this stuff maybe is so black um queer maybe you you would have a more difficult life, I would say. Completely. And you just, you know, I guess in these conversations about body acceptance is that they do become quite individualized, but ultimately every single body is political. Like the way that somebody walks through the world is going to be so different depending on their various intersections of their identity. And I think oftentimes when we talk about bodies and stuff, it does get very much watered down into everybody is beautiful. And it's like, okay, but like, why are we taught that some bodies are better than others in the first place? Why are we taught that some bodies are more worthy than others in the first place? Why are we taught that some bodies deserve safety more than others? You know, there's so much more nuance here that we need to address and adjust to rather than have these kind of blanket sayings that we can put on t-shirts that only go up to a size 16, which is, what a lot of these campaigns do. I don't know if you've watched Squid Game on Netflix. Not yet. <laughs> it's on my list. Okay. I feel like I'm the last in the universe who has not watched Squid Game. Then you have to. I'm. I'm still. I'm still missing two episodes. I think, but they touch on these points very well. Although it's a bit violent, yes, but sure. lives are violent in general. Uh, it's very interesting how they showcase that it's not always the strongest that wins. And I haven't gone to the end, so I'm not giving any spoiler alerts. Um, yeah, you can have to put that in the show notes, won't you? <laughs> we talk about Squid Game. Shush. <laughs> Skip 10 seconds. <laughs> I don't know who wins. I don't know if anybody wins. No, I, have no idea. <laughs> I can tell you who dies. No, no, out. no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to, to 
uh, I, I just brought up Squid Game because when you were saying that, you know, the experience depends on how you view life, on on who you are, on and on everything. It's it's really a representation of society that Squid Game shows. You know, you've got older people, you've got younger, you've got men, you've got women. And there are various scenes that show you that, you know, sometimes the older people are rejected from a group because they're too old. Sometimes women are because they're too weak. And then when you go and see it, yeah, some women do die, some men do die, some some older people do die, but some younger do as well. So did it really matter? Or is it just society playing a role in saying, you know, this is this is yeah, the stereotype yeah. of who's going to be better at a game? Depends on the game. Well, this is it. Like we we came up with this these kinds of bizarre, racist, ableist, queerphobic, fatphobic rankings. Like they, again, it isn't just the way that it is. Somebody came up with that at some point down the line, and we decided some are better than others. But it just goes to show that that's never been the case, and never was the case. No, I can I can share actually an experience that happened with me. So I am I was born and raised in Mozambique in Africa. Then I came to Portugal when I was in university uh, studying, and I went back to Africa, but to Angola. And Af- and Angola and Mozambique are, are quite different. I was there for I don't know maybe two or three weeks, and I went out with some colleagues, some work colleagues, um, Angolans, and a woman went past us, um, fat woman, not very fat, but uh, slightly fat. And they all looked at her. They're like, oh, yeah, she's so sexy. And this is when it hits you. You know, it's so different from society to society. I'm sure that here in Portugal, the comments would have been different from the majority of people. But then there, they were so happy with this, you know, looking at this woman saying, oh, she's so sexy. And it really gave me joy to listen to that. Now, because That's it. it Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? You know, we learn beauty standards. And somebody sat down one day and decided that this, whatever, you know, whiteness, slimness, able-bodiedness, all these things are the pinnacle of beauty. But once we realize that like beauty is in everything and everyone, that's the most liberating thing. We don't have to fit into a tiny box to be beautiful. We always were. It's wild that we're taught differently. You know how some people ask if you have a type? I've I've been married Mm. for a very long time, over 10 years. Um, so my type is my husband, but my, <laughs> my idea is, yeah, my type is being smart, you know, having the same goals as I do. Why is it, why does it have to be physical? For sure. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, our preferences don't always exist. I mean, they always, um, they don't exist. Wait, what am I trying to say? Let's try this again. Preferences don't exist in a vacuum. That's what I'm trying to say. So, you know, like we think, oh, I like this type because that's just me. And it's like, but you also, uh, you know, you get shown the same kinds of people on TV. You see the same kind of body types being heralded as the best possible thing in the world in TV, film, the media, all those kinds of things. And we learn what our type is as we get older. And we like to think that, oh, well, you know, this is totally my individualized thing, but they are affected by so many different forces that we're not necessarily consciously aware of. Talking about relationships, what advice do you have for people that struggle with body image and are trying to be in that dating world, to be in a relationship, being intimate, but they're not comfortable with their own body? 
So firstly, I would say any partner who makes you feel like you need to change your body to be good enough for them is not worth a second of your time. Like as somebody who tried to put themselves through that to try and morph myself into something that somebody wanted me to be, the only person who lost was me. You know, like you deserve to have a partner who celebrates you, makes you feel adored and makes you feel like the stunningly beautiful person that you are. And in, and in feeling confident in the bedroom, I'd say people say, oh, like, you know, make sure that you turn the lights on. It's like, no, like it's your own personal journey. If you're not ready to turn the lights on, that's fine. If you're not ready to be completely naked, that's fine. Just take it one step at a time. Like, so I am currently um, pioneering the Totally Tubular campaign, um, which is a campaign I created to create awareness around uh, tubular breast syndrome, which is something that I have. And tubular breast syndrome is when um, the breast tissue, oh, just shaking my mic. Um, tubular breast syndrome is when the uh, breast tissue doesn't develop in the way that, say, quote unquote, regular breasts do. Um, so they have more of a conical shape. They've got a wider breast base. They've got, um, you know, a bit of a wider cleavage, puffier nipples, that kind of thing. And it was something that I really struggled with for a very, very long time because I, you know, I saw boobs on TV and porn, whatever, and I never saw any that looked like mine. So I figured that I was grotesque and disgusting for other ways. You know, it didn't really help my body image issues. And then I kind of stumbled on an article where I found out what my condition was but the issue was, is that when I started to Google it even more, all that kept coming up was um, how to correct your deformity with plastic surgery and all this kind of horrible, nasty narrative. So I'm really trying to change the narrative and show that like breasts come in all different shapes and sizes and they're stunning. They're beautiful. Like, you know, I recently, I say recently, I've been single for six months now and <laughs> it's the longest I've been single in my entire life, which is bananas. Um, and a part of me was like, oh God, I'm going to go into the wide world of dating and sex. And am I going to be, is somebody going to say something? Let me tell you, never had a complaint. Any, anything, everybody loves them. But the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of people who have reached out to me, um, who also have tubular breast syndrome, kind of say, oh, I'm really nervous about taking my bra off. I don't really know what to do. Like, I'm scared. And what I always say to them is that you take it one step at a time. If you're not quite ready to like take your clothes off, maybe wear like a cute little bodice or a little corset or like lacy bralette. Like that's totally allowed. And also it's going to last two seconds anyway. You'll have it on and your partner will be like, oh my God, lose their mind. I want to take it off. And that's how your partner should make you feel anyway. But I think what's also really important is like, I always recommend mirror work. So to get used to your naked body, you've got to look at it. You've got to see it in all different shapes and, you know, all your rolls and your bends and your folds and everything. Because if you only start to accept yourself at certain angles, then you're not accepting your full self. And, you know, that was something that was groundbreaking for me. And there was a show recently on Channel 4 called Naked Beach where they put that, because um, it's been researched. And it's, it's I've been seen shown. it. Yeah, yeah. So people who spend more time naked looking in the mirror have better self-acceptance and body acceptance. So if you want to start accepting yourself more in the bedroom, like do more mirror work and get to know how fabulous your naked body is. You know, on, on, on one of our episodes with Florence Park, um, she oh, actually, yeah. she, did you listen to it? 
Yeah, oh, I haven't listened to all of it, but I love Florence. She's awesome. Oh, yes. And she was suggesting to do a 30-day challenge where we would have to look in the mirror every day and take a picture of our naked bodies. Yeah, the Bex Jane New Challenge. They've done that. I've seen that. That's awesome. It's a great idea. I did it. And I have to say, the first few days were quite uncomfortable. And I don't think that I'm that I don't accept my body. I actually think I do accept my body quite well. I don't know. I felt like, why am I doing this? You know, oh, but there's a roll there. Oh, maybe I should be fitter here. But three or four days later, it's like, oh, wait, wait, this this is my good angle. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Look at me. <laughs> is that like, oh, like my boobs are looking good today. Let me take a better yes, picture here. Love to see it. <laughs> exactly. So I do think, and I agree with that research. If you look at yourself, you will find the things, more things that you love versus the things that you, that you hate. Yeah. And also another thing is that like, we can get really in our heads about this kind of stuff and go, you know, especially when like a cisgender woman is on top and they're like, oh no, oh, oh no, they can see my double chin. Oh no, they can see my, my boobs are shaking. Oh no, this is this. Your partner is going, oh my God, this person is having sex with me. There is no part of them that's trying to like pick you apart in the way that you are doing in your own head. They're just very lucky to be in your sacred space, you know? So if there's any kind of practice that I would recommend, like if there's any kind of practice where you can get yourself out of your head and more in the moment, I would absolutely recommend that as well. You have better sex anyway. Yeah. And I can imagine a lot of them are even, even singing, shake that thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah. I'm not going to continue because my singing is crap. We're going to lose the whole audience. <laughs> next time. That's the next episode. <laughs> uh, I think I need to learn a little bit more how to sing. My... Two-year-old tells me shh and puts like the finger oh. in my mouth. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Damn. It's that bad. My <laughs> singing. Before we end the episode, there's something that I'd love to to know from you. So, how do you keep a relationship? I know you're not in a relationship right now, but how do you keep a relationship open, exciting, and intimate? Oh wow. So I was in a relationship for eleven years, and people would always tell me, I'm like, oh, what's your secret? And um, the thing that I always tell everybody is that like, it's so important to be friends with your partner, like, and to have your own lives. I think if you're tied at the hip and you're so intertwined with each other, you kind of become enmeshed in kind of a way that's not great for either of you. So if you spend you know, obviously it's good to spend time together, but if you spend time apart, then when you get back together, you're like, oh my God, it's you. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. You know, like you, you feel special with them over and over. And I think what's also really important is having regular conversations where you check in and just kind of go, so how are we? Like, what's going on? I think we're very scared of having vulnerable conversations, but the person to have vulnerable conversations with is the love of your life, you know, or your partner. And you know, that way you can practice having these non-judgmental conversations about, you know, how can, how can we do things together? How can we have better sex? How can we, you know, trust each other more? Like these are all okay questions to ask. We just get very scared of them. And the more that you get to know your partner on not only like a physical level, obviously like an emotional level, it's just going to change the way that you have a relationship. And you know, find, make time, like do cute dates still. It doesn't matter how long, whether you've been together for two years or 20, like 
make that time and space for that person make them feel special celebrate them because you are deserving of celebration that's not too much to ask like that is actually the bare minimum to be celebrated and if you can do anything in your power to you know tap into your partner's brain and just kind of go, how can I celebrate you in a way that you recognize? I think that's why I'm a big believer in love languages because I would treat my ex in a certain way, in the way that I wanted to be treated for a long time and be like, oh, well, I like this, so you should like this. And it was like, no, no, it's very different. You've got to learn your partner's idiosyncrasies and language so that you can love them to the best of your ability. And that will only come back to you. That's excellent advice. Where can everybody follow you for more advice and interesting content on body image and self-love? Sure. So you can follow me on uh, Instagram at Kitty Underhill X. So that's my name with a kiss on the end. Um, you can also follow me. Oh, that's the way I like to remember it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you can also follow me at, I just need to double check because it's a new profile. Um so you can follow my coaching profile at embodying.u. So E-M-B-O-D-Y-I-N-G dot U. Um, so I'll soon be taking on uh, doing workshops and doing one-to-one client work. So if that's anything that anybody is interested in who may be listening, hit me up. Oh, I'm sure a lot of people will be interested. You know, how to be more comfortable with your body and yourself. Oh, yes. If it was sure, the UK, sign me in. Yeah, come on down. Well, this is the thing, like, the way you feel about your body affects the way that you feel about yourself and vice versa. Like these things are so deeply intertwined. So, Hey, come on down. We'll unpack it together and I'll make sure that you feel gorgeous and fabulous by the time you leave. Is this valid for anybody? Yes, absolutely. Females, males. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It affects everybody. Binary. Oh, for sure. Excellent. Kitty, I've had a wonderful time. It's boosted my self-esteem for sure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, See you next time. And please do follow Kitty if you would like to see more content on body love. On body love. Okay. That was weird. Yeah. Hell Um, yeah. Body love. Let's go for it. (laughs) Okay. For for body love. (laughs) Thank you guys. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening.